This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 151, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, March 5th. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans, this is episode 151, it's the Comic Reviews episode for Wednesday, March 5th. I am your host, Adam Chapman. Every week we take a look at the comics that came out the previous week, and uh, give uh, rapid-fire reviews and a little bit of a discussion on what happened in these particular issues. Uh, and this week we had actually a, a lot of new, all new Marvel Now books for launching. Uh, but the first book we're going to take a look at this week is none other than Batman Superman Annual Number 1. Um, this book is by, let's see, Greg Pak, with artwork by Jay Lee and Kenneth Rockefort. Um, I haven't been following a lot of Greg Pak's work in the New 52 so far. Um, I hadn't read, I, I don't believe I'd read the first, uh, storyline against Mongol. Actually, I take that back, I did, and I hated it. It was the weird video game-inspired one. It didn't even feel like a real Mongol storyline. Anyways, this new, uh, annual is basically revisiting the character Mongol, but more importantly, Mongol's son... Uh, who in this one is not called Mongol, uh, the second, which is what he was known as in the uh, pre-New 52 universe, as well as the daughter being Mongal. Uh, here instead we have Yoki, or Gaki, or Jochi, or whatever you want to call him. The son of Mongol shows up, basically challenging um, the clans of Superman and Batman. So basically they have to bring, uh, you know, two with them. Um, so Batman decides to bring Batgirl for the brains and Red Hood. Um, who knows why he brings the Red Hood, really, because it makes more sense for the story, not because it actually makes sense for him as a character. Um, and on the Superman side, uh, he decides to bring, um, Supergirl and Steel. Uh, and they go, they go to War World, uh, they end up participating in this, in this, uh, tournament. It turns out that Yoki is no longer in control, and he's having to fight others to kind of maintain leadership. Um, you have Superman's clan, the clan of kal basically, fighting against the Bat-Clan, which adopts Goki as a member. Uh, it's an interesting storyline. I, I actually kind of enjoyed it. Um, I thought the artwork, though, was really not that enjoyable. Although I did like the, end, I, I did like the ending. The problem is that Jay Lee's artwork uh, it has evolved to the point where it's, it's always kind of on, like... You know how you, you know someone and uh, and they're funny, but they're always on? Uh, that's how I feel like Jay Lee's artwork is always creepy, but always always creepy. Like, it's it's an aspect of his, of his artwork that he's able to tap into, yet he never stops tapping into it anymore. He used to have a lot of different ways he could illustrate, and now I feel like he always goes kind of for the creepy and the weird, and even in storylines where it doesn't really fit. And so Batman and Superman is a book where it doesn't fit. Um, I think, um, and more than anything, it's a book that could, should accentuate kind of the, um, I don't know, a little bit of the gothic and the Superman, sorry, the Batman, uh, kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, the, the Batman feeling, I guess, or the Batman atmosphere, but also should have the Superman atmosphere, and here we have Creepy. Um, I think he'd be better off doing, I don't know, something like The Creeper, or not even, because that's almost too cartoony. He's just, he's better off doing The Dark Tower, and that's kind of where he should leave this artwork. Um... I did kind of like the story of Greg Pak more than I ever expected to, but again, the artwork was inconsistent, and having so much of it creepy by Jay Lee was a problem. Roggeford stuff is okay, but it didn't really... I don't know, it wasn't that special either. Uh, so I'm going to give the the book on the whole a 6 out of 10. Uh, next up is Batwing number 29. Um, I, I think overall this book is more enjoyable since we've had Lucas Fox as the Batwing character. Uh, Justin Gray and Jimmy Palmiotti are writing it with artwork by Eduardo Pensica. Um, I do like the artwork by Pensica. 
Um, the storyline at times, I mean, it's a, a, I don't know, it's a little odd because it's a Batwing issue, and yet we have a lot of Batman and not as much Batwing. Like the first, what two pages are Batman, uh, him kind of freaking out about the the loss or the, the disappearance of Luke, uh, Lucius Fox's daughter, Luke Fox's uh, sister. Uh, then you have like a few, what a couple pages, maybe two pages that are. Uh, dedicated to these people at this, this amusement park finding her body. Um, then again, you have a few pages of you know, the hospital, and then we finally get the actual Batwing action where he tries to kind of investigate her his uh, sister's experience. And then it gets really weird because obviously we've already had a recent storyline where the world of Gotham was more than it appeared to be because you had the City of Owls or the Court of Owls holding court. At, right underneath Batman's nose. Well, here, you have a whole freaking, like, little weird... Uh, it looks like a shantytown, but a futuristic shantytown existing under Gotham. And it's that kind of stuff that really pushes the limits of believability, because in anywhere, first of all, it would be a bit of a stretch. Uh, the idea of, like, it's kind of like the Morlock Tunnels, but a lot more... a lot larger and a lot more built up, and which makes it a little bit harder to digest. Not only that, but underneath Batman's city, I find that really hard to believe. Artwork's good... Story, a little scattershot. Um, again, I am still enjoying, I think, the personification, sorry, the characterization, sorry, of uh, Luke Fox more than I was enjoying the previous version of Batwing, but it's still, you know, a little bit scattershot. So I'm going to give the issue about a six and a half. Um, had good artwork, but the story wasn't quite ready to match it. Uh, and moving on, we have Captain America number 18. So I have to admit, I mean, when it comes to Captain America, I was really tough on Rick Remender when he started writing the book, but I've really enjoyed what he's done recently. That being said, this this issue is pretty weird. Um, the whole Dr. Mind Bubble is kind of a cool concept, but it's a little too weird and trippy at times. Uh, but overall, I mean, it's still good. It's the uh, part two of The Iron Nail, written by Rick Remender, with artwork by Nick Klein. Um, so it's we have the issue starting off where you have uh, Maria Hill trying to figure out what's going on with the release of none other than Dr. Mindbubble. Uh, you have the fact that he's still mind-controlling and messing with uh, Nick Fury. You have the Falcon and Captain America trying to basically figure out what's going on and trying to get close to it. They're fighting some mind-controlled S.H.I.E.L.D. agents along the way, um, which is some cool stuff. Then you have Maria Hill trying to fight against uh, her own agents that have been mind-controlled as well, who now think that she's basically a member of HYDRA. Um, then she ends up going up against who I believe is the Iron Nail. I can't quite remember. Um, you have a little bit of Jet Black kind of doing some, um, uh, what's the word, interrogating for Captain America. Uh, you have Falcon and Cap uh, once again showing how awesome a team they are, um, and trying to figure out, you know, how, how to, how to fight these robotic, uh, enemies that they're up against, and then finding another helicarrier, and, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a cool Captain America kind of having to go up against uh, a, a mind-controlled shield. Um, the mind bubble character is is played a little bit less extreme here, which was good because I found at times in this first appearance, um, the politics of the character were almost pushed too hard. But here we get him just enough, but not too much. Um, I, I'm gonna give it a, a six and a half, maybe a seven. Um, you know, it's good. It's not great. I mean, it's. Not the best thing I read this week. I mean, it's enjoyable. It's a little slow at times. You know, I'm maybe I'm being too hard. Let's give it a 7. 7 out of 10 for this book. Uh, next up is Detective Comics 29. Haven't really been enjoying this. Um, this whole Gotopia storyline. 
Uh, it's written by John Lehman, who I have historically enjoyed on this book with Aaron Lepresti uh, on art. I do feel like we've gotten way too much of Scarecrow lately. Like, he's been in a bunch of storylines. Like, I just think it's way too much. And it's just a long, kind of protracted storyline. A lot of it's in flashback as we see how Bat- Batman kind of uh, gives in to Scarecrow, but it's not all as it seems because of what he was able to do with Poison Ivy and him kind of fighting against Crane. And I guess... I guess it just it kind of it ends the uh, Gotopia storyline, and it definitely also signals the beginning of a new reign. I guess I think Francis Manipul and Brian Bouchelot will take over the next issue. Um, kind of has a nice ending, whereas Batman's saying, you know, like you know, I'm always ready. I'm you know, I'm I'm here to be here basically. But I just thought the issue was kind of really empty for me. Uh, I didn't like the whole Gotopia storyline. It had the potential to be really interesting, and I just felt it did not in any way match that potential. So I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10. Uh, next up is Earth 2. Uh, this is number 21. Uh, this issue is written by, again by Tom Taylor, artwork by Nicholas Scott. Despite the book being so different than what it was under James Robinson, I'm still enjoying it, although it is quite a different book. Uh, we open the issue with uh, the Sandman trying to evacuate as many of the World Army uh, uh, you know, uh, people as possible, all the survivors. Uh at the uh, the atom goes up against uh, Superman. He basically what takes off his arm with his heat vision and then smacks him in the arm. Actually, yeah, he picks up the arm and then smacks him with the kind of the bloody end of it, uh, which is kind of brutal. And then we go back to um, uh, Jimmy in the Batcave that's trying to kind of reassess the situation. Um, obviously, you have Hawkgirl kind of tending over um, Doctor Fate. I'm wondering though. And just, I, I've been reading this, I've been enjoying it, but what the hell happened to Green Lantern? Like, I completely forget what happened to him and Flash. Like, they were the focal point of this book. This was supposed to be, like, kind of the JSA. And then they were just thrown out of the book completely. And now we have, you know, uh, Connor Hawk. Uh, you have, you know, Hawk Girl's kind of still in it, but not being used much. Same thing with Dr. Fate. You have this new version of Batman, who's probably not the one that we were anticipating that James Robinson would have introduced. You have this new Kryptonian that we don't really know much about yet. We have this red tornado who's really just, you know, this robot body with Lois Lane's mind inside. Like, it's very strange. Um, we get a, uh, we go to Amazonia. We see that that's where the World Army is kind of hiding out. Uh, so they're, they're, they're dealing with that. Um, we also get to see Project Beyond, which is the idea that all the richest people in the world have a kind of a safety net, a way to get off the Earth in case anything ever happens. Superman kills them all, which is really horrific and really brutal. Um... We then see Atlantis, and uh, it's kind of cool to see Atlantis and um, Aquawoman, who doesn't like being called that, is you know holding court in Atlantis. Uh, Jimmy Olsen trying to kind of reach out to the World Army and to and to Aquawoman. Um, you have uh, you know Mister Mir- Mister Miracle and what's it called? Uh, the two Mister Terrifics being mind controlled by I guess Bedlam, um, and is that the guy's name? Yeah, there's Bedlam who's doing mind control to kind of manipulate them to open up a, uh, another a larger portal so that other forces can get through. And then we find out that Superman finally finds out that uh, that Terry Sloan has been hiding a Kryptonian who's now obviously in the care of Batman. Um, I, I, a good issue, a lot of plot lines moving forward. Um, the whole the cover is kind of dumb though because it's all the shattered fate and it's kind of making you believe that it's something to do with Doctor Fate. When Doctor Fate barely shows up in this issue, you get like one or two pages, if tops. In fact, he's only on a few panels on those pages, so 
The cover is very disingenuous. I mean, these days it's not exactly a shock because covers aren't the beacons of truth and honesty as to what's happening in the issue anyway, or even a slight indication, but I just wish that it had a little bit more to do with what we saw on the cover. Um, I'm going to give it a 7, though. I, I did enjoy it. Um, maybe I'm being a little harsh in my rating, but I, I did like it. Uh, next we have Forever Evil number 6. What a mess. What the hell kind of book is this? Uh, it says Nightwing's Last Stand. Kind of, and that if his last stand is being trapped to the what the killing machine or the sorry the murder machine, and then having other people try to stop his heart to stop the bomb and then maybe rescue him, like that's his last stand that has nothing to do with him at all. Um, this book can remains kind of a mess. Uh, I don't like the artwork by David Finch; it's definitely not his strongest. Uh, the writing by Jeff Johns is really haphazard. Um, we're six issues in, and really, what the hell is going on? Like, what is like we have one issue left, and we have to find out. Who's, look, what's this force that's hunting the CSA? We've got to learn more about the hooded man, who now we know is a twisted version of, I guess, Shazam, as well as Alexander Luther. So what's that supposed to be? Um, plus, we haven't really addressed, you know, getting the Justice League free. Like, there's so much heavy lifting that's going to be in that last issue, and I just don't think there's enough space for it. It's just a fucking mess. Um, I mean, this issue, like, how much of it is just breaking in to the Watchtower, um... They kill off, you know, the evil version of Alfred. They're trying to rescue Nightwing. They realize that Nightwing can only be rescued if they if his heart stops. Um, Lex Luthor seemingly kills him or lets him die, and then, I mean, we're assuming that he'll he'll actually survive and he'll be fine. There's some, you know, brutal violence in here, which is kind of par for the course these days in these kind of events for DC. You have uh, Captain Cold freezing. Um, Freezing uh, Johnny Quick's leg and then p- kicking it off and kicking it to nothing. Um, you have Batman with his kryptonite ring f- fighting against. Uh, was he fighting against Bizarro? Or does that even make sense why he's doing that? Oh yeah, because he's going up against Luther and Luther's using Bizarro to kind of do what he needs to do. Uh, you have the the twisted version of Alexander Luther as Shazam, um, which maybe isn't that surprising. Um, I don't know. I just I expected more, and this just wasn't it. Um, and I guess, you know, the power of Mazas. Mazas is basically Shazam backwards. Um, could have been a better issue. Much better. Um, I, again, the artwork is really over-rendered, and I didn't find it all that enjoyable. The storyline is ha- having major issues and even really getting off the ground. I feel like we barely had any actual story unfold over the last, you know, six issues now. I'm going to give it a five. Uh, next up is Forever Evil Arkham War number six. I think this is a book that probably should have ended a while ago, too. Um, it just keep, kind of keeps going. Uh, with this big kind of Arkham War going on between uh, Bane's forces and Scarecrow's forces. Again, way too much Scarecrow. Not a huge fan of how Bane was illustrated here, because I, I like the smart Bane, and this felt a little bit at times less of the actual smart Bane. Um, I mean, the artwork's, the artwork's all right. I mean, I, just what does this series even here for um it's written by who uh, peter j tomasi i work by scott eden i do like both those creators this is not their best work um the issue as it ends is kind of un- unclear is the scarecrow you know dead is he just being hung from like, this wire like it's not really clear is that is that if that's even him it certainly looks like it's supposed to be but who knows um bane wearing like a big furry jacket kind of like from dark knight rises Kind of actually wearing more or less the same type of clothes that he was there, except for the, his standard luchador mask. Um, the fact that it even says next Black Dawn, I mean, I guess is there that one shot that's coming up for Arkham War? Like, this is the last issue of the series, I thought. 
Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this isn't the last issue. Maybe I'm completely wrong. It just doesn't look like it is. Um, because of the way it says, like, next. But, okay, whatever. This series kind of felt uh, inconsequential, but I'm going to give it a five and a half. It's a little bit better than the main book, at least by the artwork alone. Um, next up is Green Lantern 29. Uh, I actually am enjoying this. I mean, I had stopped reading Green Lantern after Jeff Johns left. Uh, I'm enjoying this, again, more than I expected. Uh, it's written by, written by Robert Venditti, artwork by Billy Tan. I really like that cover with uh, St. Walker and different animals. And actually, now that I look at it, I didn't even notice that Hal Jordan was on it at first. I just, my eye was just drawn by St. Walker, and then I realized, oh yeah, Hal Jordan's in the background. Uh, kind of an interesting issue. We see Hal you know, basically leaving Earth now that it's under the protection of the Red Lanterns, which I kind of glossed over last issue, so I guess that's what happened there. Uh, he's assigned and made uh, a truce with the Red Lanterns to allow one Green Lantern to operate in 2814, and that's going to be Simon Baz, who's going to be watching over Hal's family. Um, you have St. Walker on Mogo, kind of dealing with his own loss of faith. You have... Uh, Jordan kind of convening his basically his war council, his Kilowog, Salak, and uh, two six to kind of discuss what they're going to do to kind of with, to kind of fight against this war that they're up against. Uh, and then you see Hal leading forces to try and find some of the uh, I guess not the gunrunners, but kind of the gunrunners that are messing with them and selling and using weapons that can drain their rings. I'm gonna give it a seven and a half. Uh, this was better than I expected it to be. Um, I mean, yeah, it's it's actually pretty solid. I mean, it's not as good as it was under Jeff Johns, but it is enjoyable, for sure. Uh, next up is Loki, Agent of Asgard, number two. Man, I this is book for me is kind of the sleeper hit. Like, I don't know anything about Al Ewing, um, but apparently he's doing a great job with this book. I mean, I haven't read Mighty Avengers at all, but I'm liking his take on, on Loki so far. He was definitely interesting in this issue. Um, I really loved the artwork by Lee Cor uh, Garbett. I thought it was fantastic. The color art, too, by uh, Nolan Woodard is fantastic as well. Um, the issue starts brilliantly. Like, it's it's a speed dating, um, you know, a speed dating session, and we're, wa we're watching people sit down at this uh, at this table, and we don't see the person who they're talking to. So at first, you think it might be Loki, but it's kind of weird. But you have all these guys sitting down, they're saying things, and this the, uh, the person watching is just kind of calling them out and saying, no, that's wrong. Um, and that calling out their lies basically until Loki sits down, and then we see that it's this girl who I don't is really kind of no one, and I don't even know if we necessarily get her name. Anyways, then Loki tells the story of Lorelai, the younger sister of Amora the Enchantress, and it's kind of interesting that I believe Lorelai is going to be on the Agents of Shield TV show this coming week on I guess the eleventh, I believe. Uh, the episode that's going to be guest starring Seth, so it's kind of timely that this character should even showing up at all. And the idea that Loki has basically been tasked a job from the old mother to kind of go after this character. So we see how we kind of he, he plans his heist, and uh, it's kind of a, it's very elaborate and uh, it's kind of really cool. And then it's it's just it's all a retrospective of what's already happened as Loki's talking to this girl at this speed dating session, and then when he leaves. He, you know, basically gets uh, Lorelai and says, you know, you got to join my team. I'm putting together a crew. Um, really interesting issue. Very, like, you know, talk heavy. But um, I'm really enjoying this 
the way that Loki's being written here. I still wish I understood more about how he became a teenager as opposed to just Kid Loki and also what happened at the end of the Journey in the Mystery run. Um, as I stopped buying that, that series right when it was kind of wrapping up its Kid Loki story. Um, I am looking forward to the upcoming uh, Journey into Mystery uh, complete collection by Kieran Gillen, uh, which will kind of wrap up, or not wrap up, but collect the run of Kid Loki stories, which should be interesting. Uh, that first volume is actually, I believe, coming out this month. Um, anyways, I'm going to give this uh, an 8 out of 10. It was very enjoyable. It was a lot of fun. Um, it may, may almost be eligible for more than just an 8, but I did like it. Uh, next up is Magneto by Colin Bunn and artwork by Gabriel Hernandez-Walta. Uh, I'm really not sure how I even feel about this book. Um, it's kind of a, it's a dark take on Magneto with, kind of with his kind of shattered powers and him just kind of being out in the world and trying to protect, protect mutant interests. Uh, and kind of be off the grid as he does it, and trying to stay off Shield's grid as well. Um, it's actually a pretty interesting story, um, very kind of simple in its own way. Like it's kind of Magneto stripped down to the basics, and him kind of on the road, but you know, going up against those who would fight against mutants. Um, he ends up going up against a Sentinel. Or like basically a guy who's been modified to be like an Omega Sentinel or a Prime Sentinel doesn't even realize he's been murdering mutants, um, and he's he's not an actual killer. He didn't mean to stop people, but it was like he was an autopilot, and it's kind of an interesting examination of, of Magneto as a man um, and trying to kind of do what's right after everything he's done in his career. It kind of it, all he's really meant to do is protect mutants. He's gone at it in multiple multiple different ways and. A lot of ways probably were the incorrect one, but he's tried it in so many different ways, and yet it's kind of interesting to see him in this way. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the art. I mean, it works, but it's not my favorite. Uh, I'm going to give it about a 7, um, which kind of seems to be the uh, prevailing attitude this this uh, week on the comics I've been talking about. Um, next up is... So this... Sorry. Magneto number 1 was one of the only Marvel Now launches from this week. So is Moon Knight number 1. Now this one, I think, has a lot more buzz behind it. Uh, it's by Warren Ellis with artwork by Declan Shalvey and uh, color art by Jordi Belair, who I believe is the colorist on Manhattan Projects. Um, I'm actually kind of digging this. Uh, it's kind of an interesting story of, uh, I guess we have, um, uh, you know, uh, we, we get introduced to the idea of the character by having like a reporter kind of saying, you know, oh, is Moon Knight back in New York? This is where he's where we, he was last seen, which is in the Brian Michael Bendis series. Uh, he's back in uh, in New York and kind of working with the police. Now he's wearing a suit. Um, I actually really dug this kind of reinvention of the Moon Knight character. He's more of a detective here, less of just a you know a punch throwing vigilante. Um, really enjoyable art by Declan Shalvey here. Um, Moon Knight going up against this weird messed up character is really cool. Uh, the idea that you know Spectre does have brain damage as well, um, kind of the the uh, the whole thing ends kind of suddenly. But I'm definitely intrigued by where this could go. Uh, the look at Khonshu, he looked even creepier the last than the last time we saw him with Alex Maleev doing the art. Um, this was a really solid debut. I don't want to say a lot about the story because I think it's it's, it's kind of it's one of those stories that I mean it's got a lot of substance to it, but it also has so much style. And it's a combination of how crazy can Warren Ellis get with it and kind of different. And what can Duck and Shelby do to kind of match that. Uh, I gave it a, I think an 8. You know, it was a solid, solid debut. Uh, next up is New Warriors number 2. It really does feel like this is a spiritual, like, 
not just being called New Warriors, but really does feel like it kind of lives up to the original New Warriors by uh, Mark Bakley and Fabian Nicieza in terms of the kind of the attitude behind it. And it's kind of got a sense of fun to it as well. It's by Chris Yost with artwork by Marcus Toe. Um, so the High Evolutionary is back. Not that he's ever really been gone because he was around not too long ago in Avengers. Uh, we have this mutant in New York City. Uh, he's got like horns and he kind of finds himself being involved in a sun girl fighting against these, um, you know, high evolutionary kind of constructs. I forget what they're called, and I didn't even realize to this issue to that I have actually have seen them before, and they were seen in a recent uh, X-Men, the Ejectiveless X-Men, before Brian Wood restarted it, uh, back during, just after the course, Curse of the Mutant storyline, maybe around issue 12 or so of that book. It was the first to last arc, I believe. Um... Anyways, you have all these different characters going up against them. You have, you know, Justice and Speedball going up against them. And I kind of like the way Speedball's new costume looks here. Um, you have Sun Girl going up against some. You have uh, Kane and the Atlantean Girl going up against them as well. Um, you know, cool stuff here. You have Justice and Speedball finding out more about these characters. Um, sorry, they're called the Evolutionaries as they go to the Avengers database and uh, are able to find out more from the X-Men's files. Um, you're, we're definitely kind of building towards these people kind of coming together as a team. Um, also, you have the High Evolutionary kind of saying that uh, he, him and uh, Nova Sam Alexander are the only hope for humanity's survival. Um, I'm really liking where this book's going so far. The only thing that bugs me is how young both Justice and Speedball are written, particularly Speedball, just because he's too much of a goofball here and considering everything that happened with that character uh, as a result of Civil War, etc. It just feels really weird to have him go swing this far back and just being a happy-go-lucky guy. Um, that being said, I did enjoy it quite a lot. I gave it a 7.5. Uh, next up is Nova number 14. Uh, this continues the team-up between uh, Nova and uh, Beta Ray Bill and then we also have them going to nowhere and getting involved with uh, Cosmo. Um, very solid book. I like that we have kind of a... Um, we get the idea of seeing what um, Nova can do to kind of help people as him and Beta Ray Bill are kind of helping people along the way as they're hunting down uh, the Skarn character. We get a little glimpse of a kind of retroactive history of showing how Beta Ray Bill was rescued by a Nova, presumably Richard Ryder, before he... Um, ever became, you know, enhanced by Stormbreaker and ever met the Asgardians. You have them going to nowhere and trying to kind of uh, um, subtly, you know, uh, do some uh, reconnaissance. Well, at least Beta Ray Bill does. Uh, Nova tries fighting against this big sentient, like, world killer robot. Um, we find out that uh, Cosmo has been basically taken out by Skarn, and now it's up to Nova to kind of assist him and so that he will be able to... Uh, you know, help Cosmo reclaim his place as security officer on Nowhere. Good artwork by uh, Baldion, although not the strongest artwork I've seen from him. Uh, Jerry Dugan, this is the only thing I've really enjoyed of Jerry Dugan so far. It's got a nice, light atmosphere to it, but I, I definitely enjoyed it quite a lot. Uh, I'm going to give it a... I'm going to give it an 8. Nova's been kind of that surprise book for me. Uh, a lot better than I ever expected it to be, which is not meant to be mean, but it's meant to be truthful about how I maybe didn't expect this from... From uh, you know, a book called Nova, especially with not having Richard Ryder anymore. Um, moving there from there, we have uh, Punisher number three. Uh, I'm hot and cold on this book for the most part. 
Uh, but I like this issue quite a lot, more than the last two issues, I think. I'm going to give it an 8. Um, it's by Nathan Edmondson, by, with artwork by Gerard's. Um, it's, it's kind of a stripped-down version of The Punisher, which at times works for me, at times doesn't. Uh, we start off, I, the first shot here of The Punisher in this book is fantastic. I just don't know what it is, but the art just looks so cool. The way The Punisher is kind of staggering and, and like not quite standing up and aiming at Electro is really cool. Uh, I like that Electro's even in here, although I'm not a big fan of that design on his face. He, it's not like this is the first time he's had it for a while, but I'm still not a huge fan. I wish it was still a mask. I'm probably the only one, though. Um, so you have Punisher kind of dealing with Electro and kind of narrowly escaping. Um, you have them, the Howling Commandos are still on Punisher's trail. Um, Punisher, you know, is interrogating people to try and find out more about this cartel that's got Electro working for them. Uh... You know, cool look to the character. It's very real world. Um, the last page is fantastic with the way that Electro is just kind of shimmering with energy and and above uh, Punisher and kind of about to really let loose into him. Um, I really dug this. Uh, I gave it an 8 out of 10. Uh, next up after the Punisher is uh, She-Hulk. I'm going to give this a 9.5. I absolutely love this book. Um, She-Hulk is kind of that big surprise uh, you never know what a She-Hulk book is going to be like. This is by Charles Sewell, or Sule, who apparently is like an actual lawyer, so you can kind of tell in the way he writes. Uh, Javier Pulido, I love his art. Brilliant, just absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. Um, it's cartoony, but not too cartoony. Uh, so we have She-Hulk kind of dealing with her first day at her office. She doesn't have anyone working for her. She's got one case file, which appears to be one she's involved in. Um, I don't even know who George Saywitz is, but... Kind of interesting how that works. Um, which I'm hopefully we'll see more of that expanded uh, as we go along. Uh, we see her kind of getting shown around the building that she's living in, not living and working in now, and we get to know the landlord. Um, we get to see this one girl who is uh, going to be interviewing for uh, the job with She-Hulk, uh, which is Miss Swang or Angie, and who has a monkey named Hi-Hi. Uh, so she gets hired, and so we already have like establishing a status quo. Uh, in terms of she's working for uh, for Jennifer. Jennifer goes out on the night of the town with Patsy Walker, uh, otherwise known as Hellcat. Hellcat gets a little drunk, and they decide to go into this building that actually does have a secret aim base, but they're kind of going on a, a potentially wrong tip from sh a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent that uh, Hellcat was talking to one day at, like, a bar, um, which is kind of funny. These two aim guys are like, well, maybe we can get our... our, our this is how we'll get our name made, so let's 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 go after them. Um, and they, you know, get their asses kicked by She-Hulk, um, and then, uh, She-Hulk is able to beat up the AIM agents, and so at the next day, uh, you know, Jennifer goes to work, she's late, her assistant's kind of chiding her for that, and there's already a man waiting in her office, and it is someone wanting to defect from Latveria, none other than Christoph Renard, the son of Victor Von Doom. Um, so, a, a good issue, a good kind of... It's letting you know what the sensibility of this book is going to be like. Uh, that's why I'm giving I'm giving it a nine and a half because the artwork was fantastic. I really like Pulido's take on the characters in this world and the and the whole sensibility of the book. Sule really writes a fantastic script. Uh, I'm also interested to see what the next issue is like. Um, although I'm a little worried because Christoph Renard has been pretty cool right now. Yeah, the way that Hickman's has shown him in New Avengers, etc., and also in Fantastic Four before that. So I'm a little curious as to what that's going to be like because. I kind of, as much as, you know, you should allow a book to tell a good story and not get caught, bogged down in the continuity details, 
I'm a comic fan who is raised on 80s and 90s comics. Uh, so continuity is king to me, regardless of how much Tom Brevoort and those such people would type, like me to, you know, shake off that indoctrination from that time period. But I can't help it. I love continuity because I was brought up to appreciate and enjoy a tight continuity between books and kind of be irked but when it doesn't work out that way. Uh, but this was really solid. Uh, next up is Uncanny X-Men 18. I don't even know why I bother. I don't enjoy this book that much. I mean, first of all, that cover, a little too extreme. I was talking to Paul Scorez, a frequent friend of the show, and uh, and previous, used to be an, uh, you know, a common guest. Uh, he's my, also my brother-in-law. We're talking about this cover, and I was like, would you let your you know kid even see this cover? And he's like, no, I can't even have this out. Because it's violent looking. I mean, it's obviously meant to be. You have you know Cyclops kind of gr- gritting his teeth as he's got a gun to his head, but... This is Uncanny X-Men. It's supposed to be one of your flagship X-Books. I can't give this to a kid. I mean, I used to pick up comics when I was, like, you know, what, 10, 11 years old? I'm not necessarily going to give a kid this because there's a gun right to this guy's head. It's not some weird, ridiculous blaster. It's a really realistic-looking gun. So, and it doesn't, it just doesn't look good. And then the artwork in here is by Marco Rudy. Um, I didn't really like the, the, the take on the characters and uh, especially on the weird optic blast going throughout the issue. Um, it's like he couldn't quite be certain if he was David Mack in some spots or if he was, you know, I don't know, like a Sinkowitz or those types of characters in other words, in other panels. Um, I didn't care much for the way the script was written. I just, I'm not going to talk about the much of the issue just because I just didn't enjoy it. I, I, I'm looking at it now. I'm like, this isn't even memorable. It was very just kind of, I didn't like it. And it's kind of going in and out of around where all new X-Men's taking place right now in terms of its continuity, but... I didn't care much for it. I'm going to give it like a four. I I really didn't like the art. I thought the story just feels very like, I don't know, repetitive and boring. And I don't even, if you ask me what's been going on in in Uncanny X-Men, I couldn't tell you. All new X-Men feels so clear and concise. And it's got a a clear idea of who the characters are that are in the book and where it's going. This, I have no freaking clue what's going on. And I don't care. That's the worst part. I just don't feel like I care. Um... And the last book we're going to talk about is Wolverine and the X-Men number one. So this is another old new Marvel Now launch. I'm going to give this like a six. Uh, it's not as bad as it could be. Um, it's written by Jason Latour with artwork by Mahmoud Azrar. Um, it's kind of a weird book. I mean, especially having this kind of future look of, um, you know, Apocalypse. Uh, we're guessing Genesis, uh, Evan, going up against uh, Quentin Quire as the Phoenix in the future where Wolverine's already dead at this point. Getting another future glimpse after we just got one in the last issue of the previous Wolverine the X-Men volume seemed a little repetitive, as is having more of Edie and Quentin Quire kind of going back and forth on his dealing with, you know, now he's graduated. Although, are they living outside? Like, I don't really get what's going on here either. That just seemed like an odd scene. He's, like, getting dressed outside. There's, like, a couch and there's, like, all this stuff outside. Does he not live in the mansion anymore? Like, it's very strange. Um, now he's a, a teaching assistant. Uh, you're kind of dealing with one or two new students on at the school. Uh, out of nowhere, you have Wolverine at this internet, inter, interdimensional prison, which is the block. We don't really know why he's there or how he got there. Now he's known as Patch again because he's got, I guess he's missing his eye, which is happening killable. Um, you have him like kind of meeting up with, uh, what is his name? Um freaking Phantom X, so I don't even know what Phantom X's current status quo is, because I haven't really followed what happened in Uncanny X-Force. I have him meeting up with Quentin Quire, so not Quentin Quire, his son Evan as well. Um, and at the very end of the issue, the Phoenix is showing up on every screen and everywhere, and 
I just, I don't know if I care. Like, um, this just felt like it was trying to kind of be the kind of wacky, weird fun that we had under Jason Aaron, but I just, I felt no real connection to it. I didn't really care for the artwork all that much. It felt repetitive. It didn't feel like it was really giving me anything new. Um, it really made me question even having it around at all as an issue. So anyway, that so that was the last issue we're going to talk about. That's kind of disappointing. Um, that's a six out of ten. The books I didn't get a chance to read or didn't read include Action Comics twenty nine, Avengers AI number ten, uh, Ferris twenty four, Green Arrow twenty nine, Interkind number six, Iron Man twenty two, uh, Mad Magazine five twenty six, Movement number ten, Night of the Living Deadpool number four, Scooby Doo Team Up number three, Stormwatch twenty nine, Swamp Thing twenty nine, Trillium seven number seven. Trinity of Sin, The Phantom Stranger 17, and Vampire Diaries number 3. And then giving a quick look forward to the coming week. Uh, The coming week's comics are coming out on, what, the 12th of March. Uh, So looking at some of the releases from DC, we have another chapter of Zero Year in Batman number 29. Uh, You've got Batman Unwrapped by Andy Cooper Deluxe Edition, which it's kind of, I hope this is going to be what the Hush Unwrapped was, which is a black and white Batman book. Uh, in this case, by Andy Cooper, which should be interesting. Uh, new issue of Green Lantern Corps, another issue of Justice League 3000, which I only read the first issue and really hated, so I didn't bother continuing. Uh, Justice League of America 13, another uh, Forever Evil tie-in. You have the Justice League Trinity War hardcover coming out. Um, you got a new issue of Nightwing. I don't think this is the last issue, but I can't remember when it ends. Uh, a new issue of Superman Wonder Woman, which I'm actually looking forward to, because I've been enjoying it a lot more than I would have originally expected. Uh, and also for those following the hardcovers of Wonder Woman, Volume 4 is coming out, as well as the third trade paperback of Wonder Woman. Um, and moving onwards to, uh, I guess, Image Comics, you have a new issue of uh, East of West coming out, issue number 10. Uh, going back to Marvel, we have Old New X-Factor number 4, which is, I mean, I've been enjoying that uh, so far, although I think they're publishing it a little bit quickly. Like, it's coming out really rapid fire. Uh, which is kind of an odd decision, considering I don't think it's a book that maybe has the audience for it, but I guess they're really trying to wring out the old new Marvel Now dollars from this book. Um, you have an, the next chapter of the trilogy in Grey in uh, Old New X-Men 24. The second Old New X-Men trade paperback finally is released. Uh, for those enjoying the Roger Stern uh, Avengers collections that they've been publishing, we have the book two of Absolute Vision, which... I originally thought about getting, but I know that eventually we're going to be getting Avengers Epic Collections, which will collect all this material. So I'm just kind of waiting until we eventually get there, as opposed to just getting these two books, because they're not part of the Epic line, and the Epic line will be long enough that I probably don't need to double dip on those. Uh, we have the all-new Marvel Now launch of Avengers Undercover number 1, by, I guess, Dennis Hopeless and ah, Kev Walker, I believe is the artist. Um, we have second printings coming out for Black Widow 2 and 3 to get you ready for Black Widow number 4. Again, one of the books I'm really interested in loving in the all-new Marvel now. But again, a book that probably doesn't need to already be on its fourth issue. They're really pumping that, that book. Uh, you got Captain Marvel number 1. I'm interested to see what that's like. Uh, you have uh, Daredevil... Oh, no. Sorry, not Daredevil number 1. I thought it was. It's actually posters for Daredevil number 1. Uh, you have the trade paperback of the recent anthology series Daredevil Dark Knights. Uh, you have the Deadpool 25-point now. Uh, Fantastic Four 2, uh, again by Leonard Kirk and James Robinson. Uh, you have uh, the second trade paperback of FF, which is Family Freakout now. Um, you got Hawkeye 17 releasing. A weird numbered schedule, and even the, the third trade's going to have like weird issues collected in it as well. Such an odd book in terms of how it's all kind of being released. Uh, you've got, uh, let's see, Mighty Avengers number 8 coming out. I'm surprised the book's actually going on. 
Uh, another Revolutionary War one-shot, which is Motormouth number one. The new launch of Secret Avengers, now that the old volume has just ended. Uh, you got Superior Foes of Spider-Man number nine. Uh, the book I'm probably most excited for, which is Superior Spider-Man 29, as we're getting closer and closer to the end of the uh, Superior Spider-Man era. There's only two issues after this particular one. You have the third hardcover, Thor God of Thunder, releasing, which is uh, The Accursed. Uh, you got Wolverine number three. You got Wolverine trade paperback killable. Um, so that's the second half of Paul Cornell's initial, uh, what, 12, 13 issue run on Wolverine uh, before the recent relaunch. You have the new issue of X Force, which I'm not looking forward to. And you have X Men Legacy number 300, uh, which is a $4.99 book. Um, not a lot of trade paperbacks coming out in the next week that I'm really. Well, that, actually, it's kind of weird. I was looking at all my trade paperbacks I've been uh, putting in orders for, and there's really nothing coming out that I'm that excited about uh, in the next little while. I think April is a big month for me, uh, but March is not as big one, unfortunately. Um, although I think, like, in the coming weeks, there is some stuff that, like, I'm, or at least I'm, I'm really considering. I mean, uh, they just released the Uncanny X-Force omnibus I recommend her, and I'm really torn because they've already announced uh, the solicitation copy for the complete collection so you can get it in trade, which will probably be about... I mean, in Canadian dollars from Amazon-wise, I could probably get two trades collecting the entire run for about, you know, uh, $54, or I could get the omnibus for $70. Um, one, you know, the trades are easier to, to read, and they come out over, like, obviously, one will come out now, one will come out a little bit in the ways in the future, but we'll see. Also, the recently came out was the X-Force by uh, Craig Kyle, or Kyle and Yost, let's just say it easier. Uh, and that should be interesting once I finally pick that up. I can finally offload my singles. Anyways, that is our episode today. So this has been uh, the Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, March 5th. Uh, you can always email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Rate and review us on iTunes. Um, and also post in our HD Realms threads as well. Or even uh, you know go to the comicshenanigans.podbean.com. You can comment there or download directly. Uh, from there, and also please subscribe to us on iTunes as well. If you enjoy the show, uh, subscribe, um, and then you'll get the show automatically downloaded every time we have a new episode coming out. So uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, episode 152 should be coming out later in the week, and will be a focus on the Marvel and DC solicitations for uh, May 2014. Anyways, thanks again for joining us. This is Adam Chapman signing off, and we will catch you next time. Bye bye.